Good morning, everyone. So good to be present with you this morning. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share at Regen. Your pastor is a wonderful man of God who's been very kind to me. And, and again, I just appreciate this opportunity. I'm going to ask someone to read Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 32 for me, please. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples go into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Would you pray with me, please? Eternal God... We worship you this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, for your compassion. And, oh God, we thank you for how your word and your message speaks to us down through the ages. And now, Lord, as we contemplate the words that were just read, we pray that you'd bless the hearts of every hearer and bless that I will say the words that emanate from your spirit to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. It's three o'clock in the morning. There is a darkness so deep and penetrating to human perception that some would say that it can actually be felt. In his masterpiece, Lyrics of Fury, New York City hip-hop legend Rakim describes it as triple stage darkness. In this phase of night, the stars vanish from the heavens and one's hand is invisible when held up in front of one's face. This form of darkness is so severe as to even muffle the screams that emerge from the base of the throat. Triple stage darkness. It is three o'clock in the morning. And there you are in the middle of 64 square miles of water. A monsoon is blowing. Raindrops tumble through the darkness as though they were being dumped over the edge of a waterfall. Torrential waters drench you. Your clothes stick to your back like a second skin. The wooden planks on the boat beneath you cause your haunches to ache. And in the midst of this hurricane, this typhoon, this storm, you hold on to your oars for dear life. You row and you row and you row and you row, but still the shore does not enter into sight. A tidal wave picks the wooden craft up into the air and tosses it back down as though it were little more than a child's 
toy. It is three o'clock in the morning. The other 11 men in the boat scream out in terror. Oh, did I mention that you were not alone? Men with names like John, Matthew, Thaddeus, and Judas are in the boat with you. Tough men, hardened men, men who have made their living on this tumultuous body of water. Men of the sea, and yet they cry out in unison, one name, Jesus. But where is he? The passage of scripture that was just read in our hearing comes at the conclusion of one of the most astounding miracles within the pages of the Bible. On what I can only picture as a bright, beautiful day, a multitude has gathered to hear teachings emanate from the mouth of the great sage of Nazareth, Jesus. At some point, Jesus realizes that he has taught through breakfast and through lunch. Not wishing to send the crowd away hungry, he commands his disciples to give them something to eat. In Matthew's account, one of the disciples responds, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus says, bring them to me. After the crowd is seated, Jesus lifts the loaves and bread up toward heaven. He says the grace for what might have been a hearty meal for one person And then he takes that little bit of food and he feeds 5,000 plus people. Verse 15 tells us that evening was approaching when Jesus decided to feed the multitude. Now considering how long it would have taken to feed 5,000 plus people, we can imagine that it was probably pitch black outside by the time the dinner was finished and the leftovers were dispensed with. Verse 22 and 23 tell us that three things happen here somewhat simultaneously. One, Jesus told the disciples to get into a boat and travel to the other side of the lake. Number two, Jesus sends the crowds away. And number three, Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray. Let's look at the third one first. Prayer was such an integral part of Jesus' ministry that at one point his disciples looked at him and said, Master, teach us how to pray. Jesus prayed before he healed the sick. Jesus prayed before he resurrected the dead. Or in this case, Jesus prayed before he simply served a plate of food. Jesus realized and recognized his total and absolute and complete reliance on the Heavenly Father. And he did it with more than empty words. Jesus spent quality time with God. If the sinless Christ realized that he was absolutely without power apart from his prayer line to God, how much more important is prayer to you and I? In this passage of scripture, Jesus doesn't just pray while he's traveling down the road. He doesn't just whisper a few words between appointments. Time and time again, we find that Jesus goes away from the multitudes so that he can be alone with his father. It's a priority in his life. Now, I'm not a spontaneous preacher. Everything that I'm sharing with you is coming from a sermon that I've written and is recorded right here on this laptop computer. This morning when I walked into the church, Keenan and Bruce asked me if there was anything that I needed in the way of electronics. 
Without hesitating, I said, I need an extension cord. You see, if you could look at the top of the screen that I'm looking at on this MacBook, you would see an icon with the image of a battery. Next to it is a percentage sign. It tells me how much power is left in the battery before the computer shuts off. If the computer is not plugged into the power source before it hits zero percent, I'm in a world of trouble. Our lives are the same way. God the Father is the power source. How much juice is left in your spiritual battery? When was the last time you took some time out just to go aside to the Berkeley Marina or down the street or away from everybody just to connect with your heavenly father? Jesus' power, his miracles, his wise teaching, the direction that he always seemed to have all stemmed from his prayer life. What does your prayer life look like? The story was told of a man who was so lazy that at night, instead of getting down on his knees to say a prayer, he downloaded a prayer from the Internet. He taped it to his wall and at night he would just point at the prayers as he got into bed and he'd say, Lord, please read these. Jesus was so exhausted after a full day of preaching and working miracles. His battery was drained. Exhaustion can cause a lot of things to happen in your life, can it? Depression can set in. We can become cranky and snap at the people that we really love when we get exhausted. Exhaustion can cause temptation to overtake us. When the work exhausted Jesus, he came aside from everything to pray. What do you do when your soul becomes exhausted? Do you pray? Does your prayer life look like a satin blanket or a threadbare worn out sheet? Jesus took time to pray. Meanwhile, his disciples were on the Sea of Galilee roaming for their very lives. It was three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to make four points and then I'll be finished this morning. Number one is the great adventure. The Great Adventure. I have loved the movies since I was a kid. And I have my father to thank for that. On Saturday afternoons, Pop would say, come on, we're going to the movies. There was never any argument from me. I loved to go see Clint Eastwood and Charles Bronson on the big screen. The trouble was, for some reason, we never seemed to get to the movies at the beginning of the show. We'd end up missing the first 10 or 15 minutes. And so what we would do is sometimes if the movie was really good, we would stay during the intermission part and stay for the first 15 minutes and then walk out. So I can tell you from firsthand experience that it's kind of a weird thing to come into a story in the middle. And to understand the import of the story that was read in your hearing, you can't start at 3 o'clock in the morning in the beginning of a hurricane. You have to go back to how this all began for those men in the boat. Matthew 4 and 18 says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people. At once they left their nets, the Bible says, and they followed him. 
And the scripture goes on to recount how Jesus called the rest of his disciples. It was the beginning of a grand adventure. God summoned you. God called you. You were there when he opened the eyes of the blind. You marveled as the blind received their sight. You were there when Jesus uttered the beautiful beatitude. You were there when Jesus reached out his hand and healed the victim of leprosy. You were there and you walked next to Jesus. You served with Jesus. You hung on Jesus every word. You you served the fish and bread after Jesus said the grace. This story doesn't start at 3 o'clock in the morning on a stormy sea. It starts long ago on a quiet, desolate afternoon by the Sea of Galilee when Jesus called you and you said yes. The great gospel singer Andre Crouch once sang a song that said, I remember that day when Jesus washed all of my sins away. Do you remember that day? Do you remember the day when you said, I surrender all, all to thee, my precious Savior, I surrender all. Do you remember the day that you came to God and said, Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Take away my sins and be the Lord of my existence. No, the story doesn't begin at three o'clock in the morning at all. It begins way back in chapter four when Jesus asked you to drop everything and to make him first in your life. The story starts out on the day that you agreed that your entire existence would revolve around Jesus Christ. It starts in the day when you said, Lord, I will trade in my will for yours, your life for my life. Well, let me ask you something this morning. If you've made that decision, how deeply have you followed through on it? Have you stuck by it? The disciples didn't just utter some tired litany and then go on about living their lives as they'd always lived them. When they came in contact with Jesus, it was the beginning of a great adventure. Imagine what it would be to walk alongside of Almighty God cloaked in flesh. And just the same way, God has a blueprint for your life, a plan, a great impact. God's will is that your life make an impact. The Christian life is sometimes not easy, but it's never boring. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Are you living your life on purpose or merely living? Some unknown person once said, I do not intend to tiptoe through life simply to arrive at death safely. Are you living out Christ's blueprint for your life or merely drifting through? Settling for toys and trinkets when you could have eternal treasure. Back when I was doing case management in San Francisco, and I see a young lady in the back that we used to work together at Glide Memorial Church. Mr. Courtney, wave your hand. A man walked into my office one day with a young woman. When he walked out, my intern said, that's his ride or die chick. What did she mean, that's his ride or die chick? In the streets, that means that she's down with him, good or bad. Come hell or high water, life or death. Do you have a ride or die relationship with Jesus Christ? Or is your religion 
confined to the hour or two that you spend here within the walls of Regen Church. God is summoning you. God is calling you this morning to a great adventure. God has a plan for your life. God is calling upon you to impact the world. Have you accepted your ticket? Point number two, don't be surprised by the storm. Don't be surprised by the storm. Yesterday I was out on International Boulevard, not the International Boulevard that's outside the doors of this church, but International Boulevard that's down around East 88th Avenue. I'm talking about Deep East Oakland International Boulevard. I'm talking about the heart of Oakland's ghetto. And as I was walking up and down the street, putting up flyers for an event that my church is hosting for human trafficking victims next weekend, I ran into Sonny. Now, that's not really his name. He has a street name that anybody on that block would recognize, but I won't use it this morning. In the words of the late notorious B.I.G., Sonny is a notorious thug. He's a short fireplug of a man who keeps the criminal justice system in Oakland jumping. Now, the first time I saw him, he was in a fight. He knocked a man out with one punch. Most of the people who know who Sonny is would be tempted to cross the street when his shadow approaches. I don't do that. Because Sonny loves me. I'm the closest thing that he has to a pastor. Yesterday he walked up to me with a a pint of alcohol in a brown paper bag. What's up, Rev, he said. He threw his big muscular arms around me in a bear hug. You know my daddy died, don't you? As he spoke, a tear trickled down from underneath his black sunglasses. As the conversation continued, he picked up his shirt to show me the ugly scars, the aftermath of a nine millimeter bullet wound through the belly. And later, as I was sitting here preparing for this sermon this morning and just thinking about what I would talk about this morning, I thought about Sonny. Because this man is in a storm and nobody here might have ever been shot in the stomach with a nine millimeter pistol. But each one of us is here going through some type of a storm. Some of us left storms in our households this morning. Some of us are in storms that impact us at school. Some of us are in storms at our jobs. Some of us have storms that rage within our own heads. In the ancient world, the sea was thought to be the symbol of all kinds of tribulations and disasters that could befall a community. The sea stood for turmoil and chaos. And as the disciples fought to get back to the shore... One thought was probably foremost in their minds. Jesus told us to get into this boat and now look what happened. I'm in a storm. I have followed you, God, with all of my heart and yet my marriage is in trouble. God, I've followed you with all of my soul and yet I'm still single. Lord, I'm in a storm. Lord, I followed you into the boat and yet I was laid off from my job. Lord, I followed you into the boat, and yet the doctor says that there's a funny spot on the x-rays. Lord, I followed you, and I got into the boat, and yet my children still are not acting right. Lord, I followed you, and I got into the boat, and my parents are still calling me a religious fanatic. Lord, I followed you, and I got into your boat, and yet my house is in foreclosure. 
Lord, I followed you and, and I got into the boat and, and I still had a relapse and started drinking again. I followed you, Jesus, and yet my family has disappointed me in ways that I never thought possible. Is that you this morning? Have you decided to follow Jesus with all, but a storm threatens to capsize your boat? I learned something early in church, and I learned this as a little boy. We're not honest when we walk through the doors of the church sanctuary. I mean, you could be having the worst morning ever. The breakfast toast got burnt. You couldn't find your left shoe, which made you 10 minutes late leaving the house. Some crazy driver cut you off and threw up an interesting hand sign two blocks away from here. You ran into the building, and then somebody grabs you and says, Hey, how are you doing? And you said, Fine, God is good. (laughs) No, we've learned not to be honest with each other in church. That's why I like how the brother talked about how in the small groups people can really get real with each other. But if you you or I were going to be honest this morning, If you and I were going to be really gut level honest, we'd have to admit at least somebody in this room would have to admit that our life, our faith is shaking. A Christian mystic named St. John of the Cross called what you're facing the dark night of the soul. What will you do when you face the dark night of the soul? Years ago, I worked as a security guard in New York City and I was sitting in the doorway of a building just reading my Bible. One day a man walked up to me, his eyes focused in on the black binder with the gold print, and he said in anger, why are you reading that book? He said, there is no God. And as we began to talk, I surmised something from his bitter words. There was a time when he asked God to heal him from a health problem that was evident. And it probably caused other kids to tease him when he was a little boy. When the storm waters threatened him, he walked away from his faith. And I don't care how much you love God. I don't care how much you trust God. I don't care how committed you are. There are some storms that can cause your faith to waver. If I have a witness in the house, somebody say amen this morning. You know, my brother Dion Evans is in the house this morning. Brother Dion is a radio personality here in the Bay Area. You can look him up on rmgradio.com. And I remember once that he had a family member who was ill and he asked us all to pray and God healed this family member. Sometimes the illness of a loved one can cause your faith to shake. Thank God he hung on and God came through for him and us. Verse 24 tells us that in the darkness, the waves began to beat against the side of the boat. You could hear the boards creak against the force of the winds. At any moment, the craft would snap in two, sending the twelve to their certain death. About 6 o'clock a.m., it's still raining. It's raining so hard that you cannot tell the sky from the waters. And in the distance, there's a form, a shape. It looks like a man. But it can't be a man because only a divine being can walk on water. Point number three, step out. The disciples have already made a radical commitment to Jesus. They have left their livelihoods. They have walked away from comfort, from security, the the familiar. And as the old song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. 
They've said yes to the great adventure. And now it seems that Jesus is asking them, even though they feel like they've given up everything, Jesus is asking them to give up just a little bit more. How much of your life does Jesus possess? 10%? 50%? 80%? If your life was a house, would he have the first floor but not the second floor? The first and second floor but not a closet in the basement? If I were to ask your sister, your brother, your spouse, or one of your co-workers about the level of your commitment to Jesus Christ, what would the answer It's a ghost, they cried out, but Jesus says, take courage, it is I. And then Peter, who is known for saying things sometimes without thinking, says something that will immortalize him in the annals of faith forever. He says, Lord, if it's you, let me come out to you. And what did Jesus reply? He said, come, follow me, do what you see me doing. Jesus says, step out, step out. Some of us here are so gifted, we've been so gifted by God, and yet we are living far beneath what God has actually called us to do. And today God is telling you that it's time to step out, it's time to stop settling, it's time to stop wasting away in the doldrums of mediocrity. It's time to step out. God loves you intensely. He planned your life before the Orion constellation was a cloud of dust in space. God has a grand design and you fit into that grand design somewhere. But you'll never know it if you're content to just settle for mediocrity. The film epic The Godfather is often heralded as the greatest gangster epic ever filmed. In the film The Godfather 3, it begins with a shot of Michael Corleone A gray-headed middle-aged man by this point who's seated in a stoic church in New York City. The Don of the Corleone crime family is seated there in front of all the leaders of the church and he's being given a prestigious award for his charitable contributions to the house of God. Now, how many people have seen The Godfather 1 and 2? Oh, boy, I'm going to tell Pastor on you when he comes back. Well, if you've seen... Godfather 1 and 2, you know that these terrific gifts come to the church through loan sharking, extortion, and murder. In the movie, his grown children weep for joy as Michael Corleone is honored by the church leaders. Now, Michael Corleone believes in God. He prays, but by no stretch of the imagination has the Don of the Corleone family made any real commitment to God. He has a form of religion, but being a quote-unquote Christian does not change his lifestyle at all. Some of us here at least have Michael Corleone religion. No, you're not loan sharking, at least I don't hope not. You're not leaving bloody horse heads in the beds of stubborn movie producers. But we go to church every Sunday. We might even toss in the occasional buck or two into the offering. But we haven't really stepped out. Stepping out means flinging oneself in wild, reckless abandon into the loving arms of a willing God. Stepping out means finding out what we can do to help the young women who are trapped in the bondage of human trafficking right outside the doors of this building. Did you know a few blocks away from here that people are caught up in slavery? Stepping out might mean 
attending Oakland's public safety meetings to find out what you can do to quell the violence that is shaking this city. Stepping out on God might mean taking a short-term missions trip or inviting a stranger to have lunch with you after church. Stepping out means walking on a tightrope, taking some chances and expecting God to surround you on all sides. Some of us have made that first step toward the great adventure, but God is calling on you to take one more gigantic step to step out of the boat. Step out. My fourth and last point, reach out your hand. Storms are going to come. When I was a little boy, it seemed as though the Beatles came out with a hit record every week. But there was one song whose haunting lyrics surrounded me last night as I was preparing this sermon. The words went, Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been, lives in a dream, waiting at the window, Wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door, who is it for? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Loneliness might be your storm, but there are many other storms. What is it that seems to overwhelm you this morning, that kept you up last night? Is it fear? Was it anxiousness? Was it anxiety? Was it worry? Was it doubt? Was it worrying about your brother, your sister, your children? Peter started out boldly, courageously, but his faith soon mixed with doubt. He heard the voice of God, but he trembled at the waves. As the icy waters began to lick his toes, he said to himself, wait, I can't do this. I can't walk on water. I can't go back to college to get my diploma. I'm a shy person. I can't go to one of the home groups and and become a part of a faith community. I I can't go out and become a, a mentor or a foster parent to some kid who needs me. No one in my family has ever stayed married. I can't stay in a committed relationship. And as Peter looked around himself, he lost sight of the fact that God was with him. And he began to sink. The scripture says immediately that Jesus reached out and he grabbed Peter's hand. If Jesus had waited another 60 seconds, Peter would have been a memory at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Have you ever been Peter? You started out strong and committed, full of faith. But one day you wound up in a place where you were questioning God or worse, back to the same things that you were doing before you'd even made that commitment. When you first received Jesus into your heart, you couldn't put the Bible down. And now it's like a thousand pound weight and you can barely pick it up. When I was a kid growing up in church, the preacher would often use a word and the word was backslidden. Christianity only has two gears, forward and back. Which direction have you been headed in in the past month? Peter could not save himself, just as you and I might tell ourselves, one day I'm going to do better. One day I'm going to give that up. One day I'm going to start doing more of this, that, or the other thing. However, we never quite seem to get there because we can't do it alone. We need Jesus to pull us out of the waters of fear, doubt, discouragement, and depression. 
The good news is that Jesus is standing right beside you with his hand outstretched. He's ready to pull you out of the cold, murky waters. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer you and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Psalm 27.1 says, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You may not know how God can rescue you from the mess that you've got yourself in. Don't worry about how he's going to do it. Just reach out. Somebody say reach out. Oh, that's so quiet. Now, you know, I'm a Baptist preacher. And in in the Baptist church, when you ask people to say anything and they say it that quietly, that's a bad sign. I'm going to try that one more time. Reach Reach out. There you go. There you go. We're going to change that sign in the front to reach in Baptist now. (laughs) Your friends might be telling you that there's no way out. Cut off their voices like they're a bad late night infomercial. Believe what God says in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Just because you follow Jesus' instructions does not mean that there won't be a storm. But remember, you're on a great adventure. There will be storms. The storms will come, but the church can't advance if you don't step out. And fourthly, if you do start sinking, just raise up your hand. Jesus will be there to catch you. Would you bow your head, please, and close your eyes? Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you. For the timeless story that we just discovered. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you because we know that you're faithful. And and I pray, oh God, that there's somebody who's going through a storm today. If you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you are going through a storm, you said, preacher, you're talking to me. My whole life is shaking. Would you raise your hand that we might pray with you? Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise God. I see those hands. I see those hands. Amen. You might be here this morning and you're saying to yourself, I once made a commitment to the Lord to embark upon this great adventure, but I feel the need to step out. I feel the need to do more. My spiritual life has become stagnant and I feel God telling me that I need to do something to regenerate it and I need to make another step toward him. My brother is here and one day he stepped away from a full-time job because he said God has called me to start a radio station and God met him. You're here and you know that it's time for you to make one more step. If that's you and you're here this morning, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Amen. Amen. You might be here this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You believe just like Don Corleone believes, but you didn't make a commitment to him. He doesn't have your whole life. He doesn't surround you and you don't surround him. But today you wanted him to be the boss, the Lord, or as they say in deep East Oakland, the shot caller of your life. If that's you and you're ready to surrender, would you raise your hand? Amen. 
I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me this morning. Please repeat after me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I surrender my life. Father, in the name of Jesus, take me, Lord. Mold me. Use me. Look at my storm. And pick me up, oh God. Get into my life situation. Heal me. Heal my loved ones. Fix it, Lord. I reach up my hand to you. In Jesus' name, amen.